are, are you tired of hearing about God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I mean, it's been week after week after week we've spoken about this. The theme, theme has been central in, in Genesis since Genesis 12, verse 1. And the promises that were made to Abraham were passed down to Isaac, and, and they simply were passed down to Jacob as well. Uh, Genesis is about fulfilling these promises. It's always in the background. It's just always there. It is the kind of almost the, like a meta-narrative of, of Genesis, of, of God's Word, but, but of, of this, that God is faithful. And certainly it's possible to grow weary of hearing about the promises, hearing about the faithfulness of God week after week, because it's like we just want to hear something new when really what we need to hear is once again, God's faithful. Um, these promises are not just for these men and women in Scripture or throughout history, but for us today. How often do you feel empty? How often do you feel lost? How often do you feel like you're struggling in faith? How often do you feel that God is far away? How often do you feel that God is silent? How often do you feel that life is just, you know, somewhat miserable? deep in a hole, deep in a pit? How often do you feel like you're taken advantage of or stuck amid certain circumstances? Are you, are you sure you're tired of hearing about God's faithfulness, about these promises of God? Are you sure you're, you're tired of it? How, how have you seized your understanding of these promises even this past week? Now, after preaching last Sunday on God's faithfulness and the promises of God and, and the, the, declar- the kind of these, these, these declarative kind of points I made of trust the Lord in this and trust the Lord in this and trust the Lord in this. I went home Sunday afternoon, was just filled with vigor and life, and I, I woke up Monday morning decent, but then as the day went by, went along, it started spiraling. And I got into a significant spiritual depression. Um, uh, by the time five o'clock rolled around, I was, I was in my office and I just was diving in the afternoon. I started doubting all sorts of things, questioning God's goodness, questioning uh, his power in me or through me to do anything good whatsoever. And um, I just kind of sat in that. And I went home around five o'clock and all I, all I could do really was, was go upstairs to the bedroom and lay down, turned on some music to try to soothe, soothe whatever I was feeling, and, um, and I fell asleep. Uh, Joy came up, woke me up, it was dinner time. I came down, and you, you guys remember how, how I was, usually I'm pretty lively at the dinner table. Um, I, was, I was dead to the world. I, I didn't, I was just so sad, so discouraged. Um, I had a meeting that night with uh, um, a couple of three aspiring elders, Luke Weaver, Austin Mitchell, and Sean Berger. And, and uh, we had been, we've been meeting for a while and walking through a, a, a number of things together. But, but as, we, as I spoke with them, I shared that and confessed that to them. And so we, we had all done that. We prayed for each other. And, um, and then we began 
talking about our topic that night. And the topic really settles in on adopt, our adoption in, in Christ, our adoption in the beloved, in the, in the family of God because of Christ. And after hearing the guys talking about it and after talking about it myself and us looking to Scripture and considering things, my spiritual depression just lifted. It was, it was, it was gone. It was as though... It was as though it never happened, just renewed, revived. Before I had left the house, Joy had grabbed onto me, and she said, uh, and she wouldn't let me go for, for a minute, and I was trying to, because I wasn't in the mood. Didn't want to hear, didn't, want to, didn't really want to hear. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to leave. I wanted to kind of get the meeting over with. Um, and she kind of held on to me, and um, she said, uh, something along the lines of in a gracious way. Do you remember what you preached yesterday? Do you remember the promises of God? Do you remember the faithfulness of God? And of course, at the time, I was like, yeah, yeah, um, no. And, uh, and I left. And so by the time we finished meeting, uh, the Lord had reminded me of significant promises. Promises that we're going to think about today. See, the thing is, is that um, your pastors are just like, just like the rest of you. We, we have highs and lows. We have days where we're just on fire and other days where we are sucking wind spiritually. Um, believing the promises one day, forgetting the promises one hour later. We're in this struggle together, aren't we? We wrestle in this way. So do you need to hear the promises again this morning? Yeah. Yeah, we need to hear the promises again. That's precisely what we're going to spend the next handful of minutes considering, these promises. Now, they're not, it's this, we're not going to cover this text in its entirety. Um, just, there's probably much more to talk about. But I, I picked three things to talk about concerning promises of God. First thing that we're going to look at is God has promised the blessing of provision to his needy people. God has promised the blessing of provision to his needy people. That's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for us to remember. That's a good thing for us to remember now in this moment. That's a good thing for us to remember tomorrow when we wake up and whenever we start struggling. So I don't know how we can remember this. I don't know if we put reminders on our phone or whatever, but, but we need to somehow remind ourselves that God has promised the blessing of provision to his needy people. So do whatever you need to do to remember that. You remember from last week that Jacob served Laban for 14 years. So we, 14 years. Now, certainly seven years seemed to him like nothing, right? Because he was, he was uh, you know, he, he, he was totally in love with Rachel. He just, it just seemed like nothing. But still, 14 years. That's a lot of time. Uh, serving uh, Laban, who ended up not being a great guy. He, Jacob never seemed to forget, amid those 14 years, that it was God's promise that he would one day return to the land of Canaan. It's like he somehow didn't take his eyes off of that promise through those years. I'm sure there were days. But overarching, he did not forget. How it would happen certainly must have seemed like a big question to him. His, his circumstances for a departure from Laban seemed highly unlikely. He had no money. He really had nowhere to go. He couldn't get out. He had no flocks of his own. He was kind of a slave to Laban. Um, Jacob couldn't escape Laban's control at this point. 
And so he had served pretty much again as a slave for 14 years. He had no bargaining power in the negotiation. If he ran away, he had nowhere to go and no means to survive the journey that was before him. So in faith, somehow believing the promises of God, Jacob finally asked Laban for permission to leave. In verse 25, it says that after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob says to Laban, hey, send me away that I can go to my own home and country. Um, and, and Laban is reluctant to let him go. I mean, he's a cash cow to Laban. Everything he touches is gold. Everything Jacob touches is gold. Now, see, he doesn't want to let him go at all. So he just offers to pay Jacob whatever wages he wants to stay, and he was just not going to let him go. So Jacob probably felt stuck in this moment. I got, I got, I got nothing. I don't know what, what to do here. But he devised a plan and proposed it to Laban. And by this time in the story, while Jacob had not been a wise man in the past, it seems as though he has some level of wisdom at this point. Um, he devised this plan. He was aware of his uncle's greed and stinginess. So instead of asking for a paycheck, a wage that would keep him like kind of under him, he said... Um, he, he made this other offer to his uncle Laban, which Laban couldn't refuse. Because um, it was, seemed, like, seemed like a good deal for Laban. Now, Jacob had also grown in faith, not just wisdom, but faith and trust in God's promises by this time. Not, not only was it an offer that Laban couldn't refuse, but it was also a plan that required Jacob to trust entirely in God. In God's provision for him and his family. If the plan were to prosper Jacob and his family and give them what they needed to become free from Laban's grip and head back to the promised land, it would require God to act on his behalf. He, he, he couldn't make it happen. Uh, essentially, the offer was that Jacob would continue serving as Laban's shepherd and be paid with speckled spotted sheep, goats, and black lambs. Um, and so he asked if he could go through the current flock and, and gather all those. Laban's like, sure, go ahead and do that. That's a good, that's a good deal. But what Laban then does is that same day, uh, before Jacob has the opportunity to go out and do that, Laban gets out there and takes all of them away so Jacob has nothing and sends them with his sons three days' journey out into the, out, out into the grasslands somewhere. Um, it must have been absolutely maddening for, for Jacob to have experienced that again. Another, another time he was, he was kind of duped. Another time he was under Laban's thumb. Um, Laban would evidently grow richer as Jacob continued what he had been doing for the last 14 years. He had stepped out in faith and it seemed as though he was being stopped at every juncture. Jacob seemed like he was just gonna grow more and more dependent on Laban rather than being freed. And so here we see Jacob in significant need. Um, we, we, have, we have needs, um, and we are in significant need. Jacob was in significant need. And it was in the middle of that significant need that he acted in faith upon the promises that God made. He had made them a while back, Genesis 28, verse 15. He says, Behold, this is God. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and bring you 
back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob had stepped out in faith, and now he needed to continue acting upon that faith in the word of God that had promised him this reality. He needed God's blessing and provision again. It was just one more time, not simply to make him rich, but to provide for him what he needed to return to the land to fulfill the promise that God had made to him. So in chapter 31, verse 37, we come to see what Jacob does. Evidently, in in those days, shepherds believed that what their sheep and goats looked at while they mated would would affect how uh, how they produced offspring. Modern genetics tells us otherwise, but they just believed what they saw in front of them, how how it happened. So that's what Jacob ended up doing. He, by faith in God, acted upon what he knew, what he thought was right, and he put something striped in front of the eyes when the animals made it, and he would do this only with the strong ones, not with the weak ones. So he was kind of acting in shrewdness in this point, made his flock strong, and ended up making Laban's flocks weak. And it worked so well to the extent that in verse 43 of Genesis 30, it says, Thus the man, Jacob, increased greatly and had large flocks. Females, we're talking years have been passing here. There's about seven years, um, six, six years, that are going on in this part of the text. So he, he had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels and donkeys. And he became wealthy, became very very um, wealthy enough to be able to leave. And Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he's gained all his wealth. Now Jacob's plan was so successful, though, not because of his ingenuity, uh, but because he acted the miracle, as, as um, some have called it. He, he acted the miracle. It was a miracle, but he acted by faith and trusted in the Lord. He walked in faith. He did what God led him to do. He trusted God to provide what only he could. And God did. He had promised to be with him and bring him back to the land, providing all he needed to do just that. And in this story, we see the activity of God clearly. Um, It's not just simply about some, you know, animal husbandry or whatever. It's, it's, It's about God's faithfulness. In chapter 31, verse 4, Jacob calls Rachel and Leah to himself, and he explains some of the events. And in verse 9, he says, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. You see, you see it's, it's not my ingenuity. He said, God has taken away. God has done this. A bit later in verse 16, Rachel and Leah say with clarity, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God said, do. Follow what God's saying. He's the one who's providing for us. And so then in verse 44, Jacob tells Laban that God had been for him and gave him what was needed to do what he had called him to do. Jacob ultimately had faith in the faithfulness of God to provide precisely what he needed at the very time he needed it so he could, in fact, return to the land that God had promised him. He didn't simply wait for God to work in some manner. Well, Something's going to happen. God's going to have to do it. God certainly works like that at times, but, but he walked in faith. He kept in step with the Spirit. He moved and he obeyed. 
knowing that God was faithful and powerful to provide precisely what was needed in his own time. And sure enough, he, he did. Jacob was, oh, so needy. I mean, feel the need. Feel the need that he had. Feel the need that you have. He was helpless. He was hopeless. 20 years of being under Laban's oppression. He had, he had no hope, but God was for him. God was not against him. God had promised blessing. God had promised provision. But 20 years, seemingly nothing, until the right time. As verse 38 tells us about the 20 years, it's just it took years, but God would be true to those promises. So, so I want to ask you, Again, do, do you feel needy this morning? We prayed for four of you. Um, I am next to sure that we could have just prayed for each other, for, uh, for every single person in this room. We, we are all needy, needy for provision of some sort. Uh, what is it that comes to your mind right now that you are needy for? Uh, wisdom for parenting? Strength for your marriage? Contentment with God's timing amid your singleness? Rest and peace while working through the trauma you've endured. Healing for a broken relationship. Healing for your body or your mind. Revival for your soul. Renewal. Victory over that sin that so dogs you. You know, if you know you're needy, well, that's a really good thing. That, there's good Because there's good news for you. If you know you're needy, there's good news for you. God has promised to make all grace abound to you. Now consider a text that we bring up regularly, Ephesians 1. It'll be on the screen, but you can turn there if you want. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Paul can't help himself but say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Don't let a word go by here without grabbing onto it and, and understanding it. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to be adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. How, how much has God provided for us in Christ. It is in, in, in innumerable riches. Now take time this week. I mean, we want to know how to, how to remember this 
provision, God's blessing and provision. Take time this week to, to meditate on Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 and, and, and rip it apart. Take, take it apart slowly. Consider like phrase after phrase and just sit in that and wonder in that and, and thank God for it and say, I want to follow that. I want to believe that. I want to know that deeper. Not just like cognitively, not just some sort of theologically category, theological category in our heads, but just like a real love, a real truth, a real grasping of it. For if all of that is true, if all of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is true, how much more so is the wisdom, strength, hope, rest, peace, contentment, and healing that he promises to all who ask him for it? If God is for us, as he's promised, who can be against us? We, we may endure much difficulty in this life, but nothing will separate us from that which we just read in Ephesians 1. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ. Our health may fail, our finances may be short, relationships may be difficult, hurts undiminished, but in Christ by faith we are children of God and heirs of the kingdom and we are absolutely 100% safe in his hands. So we have hope. We have hope because of his work, because of his completed work. Hope that is bound up in the provision of the perfect Son of Man, Jesus Christ. For, for us, that if we believe in him, we will have all that we truly need. I know that we want provision for our various needs immediately. None of us like pain or difficulty or waiting for some provision. We certainly don't like it for a day like me last week, much less 20 years or a lifetime. But truly, Paul is absolutely right when he says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Really? Give us all things? What about all the tribulation, Paul? What about all the distress? What about all the persecution and famine and nakedness and peril and sword of the verses just found three verses after this text? What about all that? Give us all things like nakedness and persecution and the sword? I'll listen to uh, old dead guy, John Flavel. He says this, Quoting this passage, he said, He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? He says, How is it imaginable that God should withhold after that spirituals or temporals from his people? How shall he not call them effectually, justify them freely, sanctify them thoroughly, and glorify them eternally? How shall he not clothe them, feed them, protect and deliver them? Surely if he would not spare his own son one stroke, one tear, one groan, one sigh, one circumstance of misery, it can never be imagined that ever he should, after this, deny or withhold from his people for whose sakes all this was suffered, any mercies, any comforts, any privilege, spiritual or temporal, which is good for them. If you believe that God truly gave his son for you, that is, if you truly believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, then you believe that God always does what is good for his people. He never does anything evil. Not a hint of bad 
100% good. All of our lives as followers of Jesus then, uh, amid all of our joys, all of our sorrows, is the fruit of that faith and God's provision of a Savior for us. So, so this is the action we're called to. Look, look to Christ. Look to the love of God this week. Live in the love of God. Inundate yourself with gospel truths and realities this week. Take advantage of the church calendar during Lent and join us in prayer and join us in focusing. Our, each uh, the three of us are reading a book on the atonement this year. It's not, not that we... Not that we don't understand the atonement to whatever extent, not that we don't, haven't read already books on the atonement, but we need to remember again afresh this morning, or this, this, this Lenten season in particular, more about what God has done through the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We need to be reminded of that, so we're sitting in that book. Join us with that. Uh, we'll send out resources this week and the, the week ahead thing, just with a couple of uh, ideas for you. Uh, to go after. The, the book that we're reading is just called The Atonement by, what's his name? Jeremy Treat. Um, it's, a, it's like a, a greenish book. So take an opportunity to, to grab that book and read it. So when I say look to Christ, I don't mean some sort of like, you know, uh, ethereal kind of thing. I mean, I mean, look to Christ. Look to him. Try to grasp the atonement. Try to grasp what he has done, what he has accomplished. Take time to do that. Because when we don't take time to do that, when we just kind of like assume upon the gospel, presume upon the gospel, what we end up doing is remembering everything else that's crowding our minds. Take time to meditate, as we spoke about yesterday at the seminar. Know that God is the God who has provided all that you need and continues to promise the blessing of provision of all that's truly needful for his needy people to live in his kingdom for the glory of the king. And in your need, trust in God and live by faith in all his promises that find their fulfillment in Christ Jesus. Okay, that was the longest point. Let me get to the next two more brief points. God, second one, God has promised the blessing of his protection to his fearful people. So he's promised provision, but God has promised the blessing of his protection to his fearful people. In chapter 31, verse 2, we read that Jacob saw that Laban didn't regard uh, Jacob as he had before. He was, you might imagine that he didn't trust him whatsoever, and he was not the cash cow he thought he was, and he was just kind of angry at him, and he knew he was being messed with. Laban enjoyed having Jacob around as long as he remained poor and, and as long as his wealth was growing. But as Jacob's fortunes improved and Laban's decreased, the relationship became strained and Jacob knew it was, it was time to leave. He, he actually got to a place where he was a little bit fearful if something was going to happen because Laban was a powerful man. The Lord confirmed this inclination he had to leave when he tells him to return to the land of his forefathers and to his relatives. It was time to go, time to trust, time to walk, time to move. But there seems to be some fear involved, right? The verse 4 says that Jacob called Rachel and Leah out to the field where no ears could hear what they were saying. And that's why, like, when I was reading, I kind of dropped my voice and, and kind of whispered it a little bit so that he spoke. He said, hey... This is what's happening. Uh, we need to get out of here. Um, Rachel and Leah agreed. They, the text actually uses the word flee. They had to flee. Uh, and so when we think about fleeing, we think, of, we think of a dangerous situation, don't we? 
It's not just they needed to depart. The text says specifically they fled. They were in danger, and so they fled. Think about um, Joseph and Mary when, when Jesus was born, and they fled to Egypt. They, they had to take off fast because of Herod's threat. So tenuous was this situation uh, that they fled as though th- from an enemy. After Laban finds out a few days later, I don't know what the situation is, how far out he is and whatever, and how c- disconnected they are uh, spatially, but, but it was like it took a few days for him to realize that they were gone. He chases them down. Jacob tells Laban in verse 31 that he left without telling him because he was scared, because he was fearful that um, Laban was going to do something dumb. Take his daughters back, for instance. This wouldn't be the last time Jacob deals with fear either. As a matter of fact, next week, and Cale's preaching next week, and he's going to be preaching about Esau's return to the situation. And Jacob deals with significant fear at that point. Uh, all, all in all, um, Laban had had Jacob under his thumb for so long that what we see in our text is that Laban uses kind of shame tactics, Fear tactics, fear tactics, shame tactics, and, and, um, and accusatory tactics. Uh, and that sounds a lot like the enemy of our faith as well. He, he tries to scare us. He tries to shame us. He tries to accuse us. Well, he doesn't try, he does accuses, but it doesn't land. Humanly speaking, Laban, again, was a powerful character. He stated that it was within his power to do harm to them, but Jacob thought that it was in his power to do harm as well, and Laban thought that, but, but really, was there any power in Laban to do harm? Certainly, uh, according to the world, absolutely. But according to God, God had promised blessing to Jacob as he had to Isaac and Abraham before him. No enemy would prosper, Laban included. So we see in verse 24 that God intervened in the situation by coming to Laban in a dream, telling him, look, Laban, stop it. Don't say anything good or bad. You're going to go meet him, whatever, but, but you can't do anything good or bad. And we saw something like that in both Abraham's life and Isaac's life as well when you know, they took their wives in and called them their sisters, you know, and, and, and so God protected uh, them from doing anything bad. God protects his people, and he fulfills his plan. That's what he does. Now, as an observation of, of this kind of scenario, it's, it's hard to miss the parallels between the story of Jacob's departure and Laban's pursuit and the story of the Exodus that's going to come in, in Exodus. God had preserved Jacob while in captivity under Laban, and he sent him out after he had plundered Laban. And then we see in verses 22 and following that Laban pursued him, but God protected and preserved him. And if you know the story of Israel in Egypt, you know that it sounds very similar uh, when they're in captivity to Pharaoh in Egypt. The Lord preserved them there in that place. He would send them out from Egypt after they had plundered the Egyptians, and then Pharaoh would pursue them, but God would ultimately protect them and preserve them. These, these two events uh, aren't random. They're not ordinary, but they're, they're pointing to a truth, and they showed that God would always be faithful 
to protect and preserve his people, bless them, and provide redemption and deliverance for them. This is what God does. This is he promises protection and preservation. He would be faithful to his promises and plan. He would, be, he, would, he would free them from the tyranny of the evil one. And although Jacob and Israel's deliverances were physical, they symbolized and foreshadowed the spiritual deliverance that we have in Christ. Paul says, he, that is Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So friends, if you've been set free by Christ, the Bible says that if you've not been set free by Christ, if you've not trusted in Christ, then the Bible says this, that you're in bondage to Satan, sin, and death. If you've not trusted in Christ, you may believe that you're free, but, but the Bible says you are anything but free. You are, you are, you are, you are perhaps free to choose, but because you're in bondage, you will, always, you will always be free to despise God and to follow the enemy and to walk in selfishness or to walk in, um, in some sort of hostility towards God in your unbelief. The only way to be freed from this kingdom, this kingdom of darkness, is to believe on Christ where God has redeemed you and forgiven you, forgiven you of your sins if you will just trust him. So I ask you now in this moment, have you, no matter what your age is, have you believed on Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you been set free from your bondage to Satan, sin, and death by Jesus through faith in him, by trusting in him. The Bible says repent and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Believe that Jesus died for your sins. And I, I pray that you would do that now and be set free from the bondage that you are currently in. In this life, there seems to be much fear. Um, I, I don't know if... if it, I don't know if it's always been like it is today, but I, I have a feeling... It has been that way. I think it's a human condition. I think uh, in um, in a book, Running Scared, I think Joy had told me that uh, that Ed Welch, the counselor guy, he says that uh, one of the biggest commands, the most often used command in Scripture, pretty much is is that do not fear, for I am with you. Do not do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. You don't have to fear. Don't be anxious. You don't have to be anxious. Just all of that kind of stuff. What what is it that you fear? We all fear something. Failure. Conflict. Sickness. Uh, the future. Maybe even thoughts of the past that haunt you. Friends, while 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 we will battle with different fears in this life, we will truly only find ultimate and eternal protection in and through the person of Jesus Christ, by trusting in him, by believing on him. God tells us in Isaiah on numerous occasions that we don't need to fear because he's with us, and he's guarding us, and he's keeping us, and redeeming us, protecting us, and helping us. And, and the psalmist cries out, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my, the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
You see the, the upward look, the look to Christ, the look to God the, as the one who protects and guards. Consider the truth that in Christ our deepest fears of, of, of death, of, of, of judgment, of condemnation have been banished. There's no more need to fear the one that can destroy both body and soul in hell, which is at work in the depths of our heart if we don't know Christ. So the psalmist sings out, my flesh and my heart may fail, but, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We, we will struggle with fear in this life. We will struggle with anxiety in this life to, to whatever extent. But friends, let's be assured that we have full and eternal protection in Christ. Not just, not just that day, but today. That he is guarding us today. I think of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, that says, again, this is we already read Paul's exclamatory kind of praise in Isaiah 1, but this is, this is the Apostle Peter's. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being, now being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In your darkness, in the depth of the thousand-foot well or the 50-foot well or whatever the other well was, it was like in the darkness there is light and there is hope. For he has conquered death and just gives life, the promise of life and the promise of his presence and his nearness amid whatever difficulty. There's no safer place to be than in the protection of the omnipotent one. I know we want to be delivered right now from all of our struggles. I know that we want, we want freedom. We don't want sickness. We don't want, we don't want um, depression. We don't want any of those things. But, but, but in this world, we will have tribulation. In this world, we will have struggles. In this world, we live in these bodies that are broken and we groan along with nature itself. But God is with us, and we are his, and he is ours. And we have hope in that day to come, and he's keeping us and guarding us. Last point, and truly briefly, he has promised the blessing of his promise, of his presence to his embattled people. We've already spoken a little bit about this, but Jacob was on the tail end of, of over two decades of embattlement. There's no short struggle. These were long days, longer months, difficult years. And there remains a significant enough angst between Jacob and Laban that they have to make a covenant with each other so that they don't hurt each other. This was, this was no covenant of like a romantic kind of wedding ceremony that, that says, you know, whenever you depart from me, you know, let us, let us remember one another. And, and it's such a beautiful thing. No, this is about two guys that really want to hurt each other. Want to, Laban... Or, or at least, at least uh, Jacob wanted to run away from him and Laban wanted to run to him run, run and hurt him. And, and so this was the covenant that said, you know, nothing, nothing good or bad is going to happen here. We're just going to separate. They set up that pillar and they called on their gods to, um, to kind of make it a, uh, um, like a deep, a deep uh, covenant. Uh, what Laban does is Laban, who is a polytheistic kind of guy, he calls on the name of Yahweh, but also the God of Nahor, who we'll see in, see in Judges or Joshua 24 that he's actually, um, it's his grandfather, he's a pagan, he's a polytheist, he, 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 he's worshiping other gods. And then we also know that Laban 
is a guy that has household gods. So he's just like calling up uh, all, all the gods in his life to, to, make this, to make this thing happen. And then what is it that, that Jacob does? Jacob calls upon the one true God, the fear of Isaac. He trusts in one God, not, not five, not a hundred, not two. One, one true God, the fear of his father Isaac, God, Yahweh himself. Um, at the beginning of chapter 32, we see the presence of some of God's messengers to Jacob. He they confirmed God's favor and presence with him as they re-entered the promised land, which is, a, which is a wonderful reality that's just at the end of our text. But get back into the promised land in this moment, and the presence of God is with them through these angels. And it was so clear at this meeting that Jacob just couldn't help but say, this is God's camp. This is God's camp. God's led me all the way, and this is God's camp. Throughout these stories, we have repeatedly heard that the Lord would be with his people. This, this is the plan, you know? God, we, we've said this so many times, he has made a plan to redeem a people for himself to dwell with forever. Nothing is going to get in the way of that plan. Lots is going to try. Nothing will get in the way. From the Garden of Eden through the stories we're in now to the tabernacle and temple where he dwelt among his people in the Holy of Holies to the coming of Jesus to live among us to the Spirit of God dwelling in us to the day we dwell with him in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the path. This is the plan. Nothing can stop it. This is the most wonderful reality for all those who are in Christ. All of this is a reality though not because of your faithfulness but because of God's faithfulness. He will see it done. He will complete the work that he has begun in you. He starts the work and he finishes the work. He is the alpha and he is the omega, the beginning and the end. Nothing happens apart from his work, his purposes. That's why we saw in Ephesians 1, according to the purposes of his grace, according to the pleasure, purpose of his pleasure. This is what he does. So do you feel embattled? I, I know at least four of you do in this room. You feel embattled. And if you're not one of those four, then, then you might very well feel embattled. And if you don't feel embattled today, you will feel embattled at some point. But what a joy to know. And this, this sounds just maybe super spiritual, but, but we, need to, we need to wrestle with this. What a joy to know that no matter what the circumstances are, what they feel like, our God is with us, and he will never leave us. He will never depart from us. He will never forsake us, and he will bring us into his presence with great joy on that final day. Even in the face of the threat of death is the promise that when we close our eyes in death, we open them where? In his presence. What, a, what a, an amazing thing. This is just such good news for all of us, especially if you're in the pit today. Know that he is with you. He's not, he's not just outside the pit waiting for you to come up and get out. He's in the pit with you. He knows your despair. He knows your difficulty. He knows it to the nth degree. He, he, he knows it, and he knows you. No matter where we're struggling in our lives, the promise of God's presence with us is meant to settle us down, take us off the ledge, uh, and give us hope. 
and to give us rest amid whatever we are facing. Here's the thing amid all these stories. The, the Lord has always been faithful to Jacob, keeping the promises that he's made to him. And the Lord's faithfulness has continued through every generation, including our generation today. And just a few months, we'll be walking through the book of Lamentations together. Now, we will learn by God's grace to find our hope amid all of our days in God's mercy and faithfulness. He says this in Lamentations 3, kind of at the high point of Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And this, this is coming, uh, you know, if you're, if you're familiar with Lamentations, this is coming from a guy who is deep, deep, deep down in a pit. But he calls that to mind, and therefore he has hope. So you want an action step? call this to mind. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, the Lord is faithful and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Moses reminds the Israelites in the fifth book of the Pentateuch, he says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And so with that said, may we be among those who put all of our hope in God, knowing that He will keep His word and finish the work that He started in us. May, may that inform us every single day, starting today and continuing tomorrow, that we face the many needs and fears in our embattled lives, that we would remember this truth, these truths. May we not forget this as we depart this wonderful place this morning where, where we are reminded, where we, our eyes are lifted up to see the glory of God and the faithfulness of God in Christ Jesus. And as we enter back into the world, may we not forget this great salvation we have in Christ. Main point, amid all the troubles of this life, trust in the one true God, who alone guarantees the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. He's the God who protects. He's the God who provides. He is the God who preserves. He promised all these things. May we trust him. He's given us every reason to trust him.